Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? It is Tuesday, and that means another edition of Camp Daily Observations with myself, Matt Perino, and my tag team partner, Ryan Talbot, Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. We have some fun things to talk about. It, it's funny. I thought today might be a little bit of a lighter day going into tomorrow, which is kind of a, a super light day before Thursday, which they're almost, it seems like, treating like uh, you know game day, if you will. It's going to be a scrimmage day, and uh, we'll we'll probably have a lot to talk about from there, but there was a lot of things happening out at, uh, at One Bill's Drive today, Ryan. Oh, absolutely, and it sounds like it was Stefan Diggs' day out in Buffalo. Uh, it really sounds like this was, not that he hasn't made a lot of plays already, but this was the day where we really got to see that that connection and why the Bills brought him in as their number one receiver this offseason. Without a doubt, and if you head over to the site now, you can... <laughs> Uh, read, read my observations. Now I, I see Joey over here, inject the digs into my veins. And that's exactly what the bills did to the fan base today, because we were joking around on the sidelines. And it was like, if, if this was a game, if this was a game situation, uh, Stefan Diggs fantasy owners in PPR leagues would be living the high life because he was getting fed the football at a pretty high clip today. Uh, I think I know, uh, noted three straight receptions on one 11 on 11 drill and then later in practice four straight receptions Josh Allen was looking for Stefan Diggs early and often and one of the things I wrote about and I wanted to bring it up because I, I thought it was interesting when Josh really talked about the relationship that he's been building with Stefan Diggs and he said it's going to take some time because what he loved about last season and the way that he built things with Cole Beasley and John Brown is they spent a lot of time together in the film room as a group, you know what I mean? Going over, um, you know, communication and just, you know, what, what does Josh Allen see here? What does Stefan Diggs see here? And what they're going to be able to do in the coming weeks and months is come together and kind of get on the same page. And, you know, we saw the, I think it was the video that was put out by John Scott and a few other people 
uh, the other day where Stefan Diggs was kind of talking to Josh Allen, probably about what he was seeing out there. And then you saw he, he got a ball in stride. He kind of pointed back to him and, uh, in kind of approval. So you figure the communication process is playing out here. And today was just, you know, the, I don't want to say the finished product, but it was definitely, uh, a big check Mark, you know, in, in the off season protocol of Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen, because, you know, they were just in sync today. That's the, that's my biggest takeaway. Everything that was happening out there, it was deliberate. It was quick. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, short stuff, uh, just, quick off the line of scrimmage almost like like we've talked about Ryan like put the defense on its heels right away get the ball in Stefan Diggs hands let him work with it and that's what he did so well today I said I wrote that maybe the the best play of the day came on uh you know you go back and look at some of the really great intermediate throws that Josh Allen made last year and I thought he was so good in that area he made one to Diggs today where he let Diggs kind of you know, work his magic, run his route, get kind of in the soft spot of the zone. And, you know, Tredavious White made a great break on the ball. And earlier in practice, they were, you know, the, the DBs were were really working on, you know, making that break and making a, a play on the ball. And he did his best and couldn't get in there and, and break it up. And digs with about a 25-yard gain, 20, 25-yard gain there. And uh, that's what you want to see. You want to see the offense start to catch up on the defense. And one of my biggest takeaways today was just observing it all, watching it all, and coming on the heels of Micah Hyde saying yesterday that this is one of the most competitive offense-defense training camps he's been a part of, the most competitive one since he's been a Bill. I thought that today was the first day in three years. I mean, I shouldn't say the first day. There's probably other days where the offense had a nice day in training camp, but the defense really seemed frustrated today. And that's got to be exciting, even for the players on defense, that you know this offense is starting to reach a level where it can frustrate them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the iron sharpens iron thing that we hear about all the time from Sean McDermott. For all these years, we've said, okay, well, we know the defense is going to be great. But if the offense can catch up to that and they can have some some great battles leading up to this regular season and obviously throughout the season in practice as well, it's only going to make each unit better. And, and having a guy like Diggs that can, can win you those matchups, one-on-one matchups over and over, like you said, targeted three times in a row, one drive, four times another, and he's hauling them all in. Getting that rapport down with Josh Allen in an offseason where there were no OTAs, no mini camps, all of that a shortened training camp. It's huge. Just I, I can't emphasize how big this is for this offense if they can get on the same page now and carry that over into the regular season. Definitely. And I mean, there was also, you know, s- some more notable uh, performances today. I mean, I thought that, you know, while it continues, I mean, you can't get into how they split up reps. I'm trying to be careful here with how I say it. But, um, you know, Matt Barkley, when he was on the field today, I thought he made a, a throw or two that were pretty nice. Jake Fromm uh, had one drive of note where he let a field goal, uh, a scoring drive, um, made a couple quick completions. I thought that um, at, at times he looked pretty comfortable but you could see with Fromm that there's still a little bit of hesitation with what he's seeing, uh, going through, progressing through his reads and trusting his eyes, um, which is to be expected. But he's a little bit slow, and I think that you know there was three balls out of the seven or eight that he threw on the drive where I thought that was a throw that you know can get you into trouble as a quarterback, whether it be a throw that 
put your receiver in a bad spot because of where you're throwing it or just give them no opportunity to do anything with it. On one play, Isaiah Hodgins got popped by Cam Lewis, who uh, one of the other big stars of the day. And it was on a ball that I just thought wasn't very, uh, wasn't thrown well by Jake Fromm. So uh, Gabe Davis was this, this was probably the first day where Gabe Davis wasn't like a wow factor, but you know, there was a lot of digs. Uh, they were really shuffling uh, a lot of guys in and out of all the drills. I mean, I don't have to sit here and tell you any specifics, but um, we saw quite a bit of uh, um, we saw some Robert Foster today, which I was surprised because still being in that red non-contact uh, jersey, uh, I was kind of surprised uh, the, to the extent of things. I mean, it's so interesting how these guys progress through the concussion protocol, which stage they're in. Um, I believe it's stage four or five, right? Like when you can return to practice. And I mean, you know, he obviously was wearing the red con non-contact couldn't be hit, but it was, um, you know, there was one play where Robert Foster beat his man super deep. And, um, I believe it was Josh Allen that just threw it up there and just overthrew him a little bit. Um, it was kind of like, a it was clunky when, the, when him and his defender came into contact and then he tried to break away. And I don't, I don't think it was so much a bad ball as it was. They just, they weren't on the same page, but you know, so I think that you figure if Robert Foster in the next couple of days could get out of that red non-contact, maybe he can, uh, you know, enter the mix here, uh, with the rest of the receivers. Yeah. And he almost needs to get back into it sooner rather than later because there's so much talent, so much depth on this roster at, at the wide receiver position that it's hard to envision how they're going to keep uh, whatever players they end up with. I mean, do, do they actually go with seven this year? They, they've been usually going with six, but some of these players are definitely going to make that decision harder for the Bills. Definitely, though, encouraging to hear uh, about uh, Diggs's day, to hear that Allen and Diggs are kind of on the same page today. Um, so really quick, though, let's flip over to the defensive side of the dog of the ball, because you mentioned Cam Lewis, the UB product, someone that's been mentioned in, in the comments a few days in a row here. So he actually had a pretty big day today. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, he, he had a, a huge play and it was weird because I feel like it was blown dead. And I don't know if it was Isaiah McCain's McKenzie made a nice reception. I'm not sure if the whistle came because of a potential sack, if somebody tagged uh, McKenzie, but everybody in the field really let the play develop and it went all the way through and, and McKenzie kind of turned it up field and started to break away. And all of a sudden you see Cam Lewis kind of come into your frame from standing where we were in the back of the end zone. And he comes in right behind him, pops the ball out, uh, out of, um, Isaiah McKenzie's hands. And, you know, the defense goes nuts, but he was just, I think the biggest thing for a lot of these younger players is you just want to be noticed. And I think what happened today was Cam Lewis was around the ball a lot. He got, um, you know, he was in on a couple plays where there was targeted receivers and he held up and he, he made a couple nice plays. And even when guys made catches, he made them pay for it. Uh, like the one hit that he put on Hodgins. So yeah, this is a guy that with Josh Norman, who is out indefinitely, and we have to try to figure out how long uh, he's going to be out here. Cam Lewis really quickly could emerge as not only a roster lock, especially if Norman can't get back by uh cutdown day, but somebody that maybe could even get into this, to some of these conversations for a couple of these starting roles, as crazy as that may sound, the more plays that you make in this environment, the better off you'll be. I, I think that Levi Wallace, again, a little bit different. He's, he was matched up with Stefan Diggs, 
a few times today. So whenever you're up against one of the best wide receivers in the league, I feel like you get a little bit of a slack cut for you. But no, big day for Cam Lewis. And um, I know a lot of people are also asking about Jaquan Johnson. Uh, I've seen his name pop up a little bit. And I really was watching out for him today. But it's just one of those things. If you're not involved in the play, it's really hard in this kind of setup, especially when they're doing thud up as opposed to actual live tackling. Maybe on Thursday, I'm, I'm really hoping to, to see if Jaquan Johnson can pop a little bit. But it's been it's been Cam Lewis um, today that I thought was really, really excellent. Uh, Saran Neal, I thought, played pretty, pretty solidly as well on the defensive side of things. Um, but overall, here's another note before we move on to the next topic, because I want to get to the fight, 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 fight. Whenever there's a camp fight, I feel like everybody wants to hear about the details of that. One thing that I've observed over the last, you know, three or four practices is it seemed like the interior of the bills offensive line has struggled to maintain a workable pocket at times for whoever was back there, Josh Allen, Matt Barkley today. I feel like that changed quite a bit and you know, we, it's hard, especially when they're down on the other end of the field and we can't give up like too much of what we're seeing out there, but there was some frustration uh, on the sideline. You know, a couple of these practices is, you know, whether it be Josh Allen or whoever's back there and, you know, maybe people are blowing assignments on the interior or, uh, you know, guys are getting through. Now they're going up against a really good defensive line. But I think that what you've seen is them take some strides over the last couple of days. I thought the offensive line as a whole played really well today. I noted one play in particular, uh, Devin Singletary popped. We'll talk about this in a little while. I want to get to the, uh, the fight. Uh, we'll talk about Devin Singletary as well. Good stuff from him today. Uh, but I thought the offensive line held up better in pass protection today. And is a big reason why and why I wrote in my observations that while Ed Oliver's been back a couple of practices, we haven't heard much from him yet. Yeah, absolutely. But let, let's get to the fight. Let, let's hear all about that. Yes. What led to the fight? Uh, what happened in the fight? Who was involved in the fight? So as soon as it started to happen, I was standing next to Joe B and we were kind of, uh, you know, watching the one-on-one drills at the other end between the defensive line and the offensive line. And as soon as you see a fight, my, my UFC blood starts boiling and I'm like, let's go, let's go. I'm ready to see some fisticuffs, but there were no punches thrown. Uh, it was pretty much a little bit of a wrestling match, but what happened was the O-line and the D-line, they were getting after it down there. There was some seven-on-seven seven on the other field. Uh, they were starting to do some one-on-one matchups. I wrote about Brian Winters, who held up really, really well in in, in his few matchups, did a good job against Vincent uh, Taylor, who has two sacks in the last two days uh, in 11-on-11 11 11 work. So that's a quite a feather in Brian Winters' hat in those one-on-ones. But it was Brian Cox Jr., who's been all the rage uh, during this uh, training camp. He's been playing pretty well up against, you know, depth piece. Nobody thinks or talks about him. Victor Salako and Victor Salako just dominated the matchup in both, both instances where, where they, they went one-on-one and the first time he almost like, uh, oh no, it was Winters who got the pancake block, but you know, just he stonewalled them. I mean, he he stood straight up. He didn't let Brian Cox, who's a little bit smaller of an edge rusher, really uh, make any hay as he as he tried to make his moves. And on the second time, at the end of his rep, Brian Cox Jr., coming off of two straight beats, probably didn't take too kindly to it. There were probably some words exchanged, and they started going at it. Ty and Secchi, the biggest man out there, he gets involved, and he starts tossing some people around. And then all of a sudden, and again, I'm watching it through the binoculars, both sides, the D line and the O line come kind of swarming together. It's a big, 
uh, pile of humanity. Quentin Jefferson's kind of fighting his way to the middle of it. And, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, as far as camp fights go, no punches thrown. I mean, really, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not a huge deal. But, you know, it, it's something that I think that energized the defense. You know, I think whenever a guy gets beat, whenever, whatever, it, whether it's one-on-ones, whether it's in 11-on-11, it motivates you. And I, I got the sense from what I was watching that that kind of energized that side of the ball. They got, you know, dialed up, uh, you know, mentally. Uh, as they moved on to the next portion of practice. And, you know, I go back to what Sean McDermott said last year about camp fights. It shows that guys are competing out there. You know, you never want guys fighting, you know, Sean said that, but it shows you that, you know, it means something to these guys and they're out there trying to win roster spots. Salako and Brian Cox, more than almost anybody, guys that are just fighting and scratching and clawing for every little bit of um, success they can find during this camp process. So it was cool to see. Today was definitely... The intensity was up today. Like, I felt like this was the first time where we really felt like football. You know what I mean? And not that all these days haven't felt like football. Of course it has. But it just feels like maybe they're kind of reaching another gear. It'll be interesting if we can talk to Sean McDermott, get his reactions, whether it be tomorrow or Thursday, to how things have progressed this week in camp and maybe see if if he's noticed the same thing about that stuff. Yeah, and, and like you said, it's a lot of these guys that are fighting, one, for a roster spot, but two, even to get noticed for the practice squad so that they know they have to put their best foot forward. So things like this happen. It happens in every camp. But you're right. It helps with the intensity level. It helps them probably prepare uh, as they're getting ready for that week one matchup with the Jets. Before we talk about Devin Singletary, we do have some questions in the commentary. Uh, ZD wants to know, is Pat DeMarco's job really in the balance with Gilliam making strides? Yeah, I think that the thing with Reggie Gilliam is, and first I'll say just from what I've witnessed, I think he's earned some respect with the way that he's performed in training camp. So that it's a competition with a guy like Patrick DeMarco, who's established himself not only in this offense, but in this league and has had a lot of success as a leader in the room, a captain, all the a big time special teams performer. That's the kind of thing that, you know, it's tough to gauge. Like, you know, you we're watching him go through all of, you know, the different reps and the different, uh, you know, parts of practice. I can't comment on a lot of them, but you really, you know, especially in the special teams front, which we can't get really into at all, but you don't know how Keith Farwell is watching, you know, a rep and and what he's valuing. Uh, You know, we can ask him about it, but to to the naked eye, it's kind of tough to see, you know, you you see when guys have good moments and the the celebrations and how the reactions are. Uh, But I think that more than anything, what I will say about Gilliam is that he's made an impression. And now you have to ask yourself, are you willing to, you know, Patrick DeMarco is not getting any younger. I mean, he's on, uh, when it comes to how much longer he has here, um, Reggie Gilliam's got much more of a runway. And, you know, if you read Ryan's story that he did, he was able to talk to his college coach and, and Reggie, uh, Pat DeMarco's 31. Um, you know, this is a guy that probably should have been drafted in most, most years. If he could have had a pro day, uh, I think he would have probably gotten a better look. And now he's come and flash, not only, you know, the, the athleticism and the, and the, and the ability to contribute as a pass catcher, but I think he's performed really well as a blocker. So yeah, I think Patrick DeMarco's job is certainly in jeopardy. The longer he is out that the more reps and the more time that Pat, uh, that Reggie Gilliam can, can, can get 
and and kind of use that to his his advantage to become more prepared if they're ready to hand over the job to him when cutdown day comes. So very interesting matchup. I I, I think that um, you know more so than anything. Who's to say that if if neck injuries are serious, especially for fullbacks, fullbacks, and I, I'm not sure if that was me and you, Ryan, uh, discussing that or put that on a text thread. I think, um, but you know, if Patrick DeMarco can't return, who's to say that they don't say let's put him on the pup to start the season and give this Reggie Gilliam a go here at the start and see what we have here, and if it if it's not working out and he maybe not ready for that level, you bring Patrick DeMarco back when he's ready. Oh, absolutely. Let's do one more question, then we'll go to Singletary, and then there's a few more questions here. Uh, in the case that Ford moves to guard, Matt, what, in your opinion, would happen at right tackle? Would Inseki be starting or rotate with someone like Daryl Williams? You know, I I guess they're just asking, can you hear? So if they do just move forward inside, if that's the, the ultimate decision at the end of the day, what do you see happening at right tackle? That's a great question. Um, you, you look at the... Um, the credentials of some of the players on this roster. Um, if you were asking me going into camp and this has nothing to do with what I've seen, but just like who I thought would work there. I still think Ty and Secchi's a guy that they know from last season gave them significant, really good reps at, at that position. Um, I think that they, they work well together. We, when they were on the field together last year during training camp, one play today, um, it's tough to get around this, but I, and it's just what happened. Inseki and Ford both made a really, really good block on a Devin Singletary touchdown run. And it was, you know, a lot of what we saw last year. I mean, Cody Ford's strength is as a run blocker. I mean, the guy is a mauler. And if you get him involved on the inside, I think that you potentially could take that area of the game to the second level. So I think like, you know, Ty Inseki, Daryl Williams was an all pro at right tackle. I'm not surprised in the least that that's where they decide to play him. I'm not giving you away anything. I don't know where he's played and what, what group he's played, anything like that. But going into this thing, I, I will bring up the tape from podcast past. I said a guy that had all pro credentials at the right tackle position, it would not surprise me. In fact, I would anticipate that they would want to give him a look there. And he played right tackle when Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean were in Carolina. So I think that, um, you know, it could be a platoon. That could be a po possible option. I mean, they've they've been open to that in the past because anything that involves Ty and Secchi, even if it's they want to go back to a platoon of Cody Ford and Ty and Secchi, I, I struggle to believe that, that Ty and Secchi can play 70, 60, 70 snaps a game for 16 games and stay healthy. I just, I think he's going to have a tough time doing that. And it's a shame too, because like we mentioned, when he's healthy, when he's right, he's as good as they can put out there. Oh, without a doubt. Now you mentioned though, big block on a Devin Singletary touchdown run. Let's talk a little bit about Devin Singletary's big day today, because you know, Zach Moss has gotten a, a lot of uh, pub, a lot of attention this, this summer. And for good reason, you know, a lot of people liked him coming out in the draft. And Devin Singletary has kind of been flying under the radar. What did you see from Devin Singletary today? Um, yeah, so today was a crazy day, by the way, Ryan. I, I should probably let everybody know in, in on my little uh, adventure to get my observation story published. The internet just wasn't working out there. And we're, we have to go to our car 
do the press conferences and, you know, right in our car, there, there's not really a workstation out in the COVID world. And so I was just kind of driving around Orchard Park trying to find anywhere where my Verizon hotspot, my phone would give me like three bars to get this thing going. And I just could not find it. So it was a real struggle. So I'm trying to catch up on some messages, some, some, some stuff on social media. Uh, so I apologize, but Devin Singletary was explosive today. You know, the, he, he made a couple really nice catches and, you know, I'm trying to figure out if I could say this or not, but I think I've really liked how both of him and Zach Moss have looked as pass catchers. And it's something that you go back to training camp last year. And I was really wowed then about how good Devin Singletary was out of the backfield catching the ball. So more of that today, he had a couple receptions uh, when he was working uh, as the running back whenever they were on the field for 11-11. And I thought that his touchdown run was really strong. I mean, 20 yards out, um, it was something that he wasn't really able to. I think he, he had one run like this last year, but it was to the left side. For, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was in the Giants game. I can't remember now, but it was when he got, I think it was this game he got injured. And he had that one really nice run, and I, he might have been out at the goal line. But this one... Nobody was bringing him down. He got all the way in, was able to score a touchdown, and he just looked comfortable. He looked like RB1. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like I think we all went into this thing expecting – well, not all, but, you know, the majority of us. Uh, I think um, – can't say that. <laughs> it's always like I'm like I'm going through my mind like a little checklist. Can I say this? Can I say this? Can I say this? No, no, no. Cross that out. So uh, moving quite right along, but it, it was a really nice block by Inseki and Ford on the touchdown run um, by Singletary. One ball that uh, in the short game popped off of, off of his hands and straight up in the air could have been intercepted. It wasn't. Um, but I think it's a good thing that you've had this much success by both guys early in camp. Like they, it seems like they're really comfortable. It seems like they're both, they're very eager to complement each other, which I think is a good thing you want when you have a two back set system like this, where there's not that maybe that one, you know, clear cut starter, even though Brandon Bean came out and said that Devin, you know, is their, their starter. I think eventually they know they're going to kind of rely on each other. Not only when maybe one can't be out there, but you know, when they're both going like they, they, when you have two guys going, well as running backs it's to your advantage oh without a doubt and you know i think we, we learned that devin put on like five to eight pounds of muscle this offseason so not surprising they didn't want to or he couldn't be taken down there near the goal line uh heading back into the comments how is aj epinesa looking and then they said dominant question mark <laughs> how's he look so far i'm not gonna say dominant but i i i'm gonna say exactly where he belongs. He's an NFL football player. No, no doubt about it. You could tell that from watching him play. Um, the reps that I have noticed him have usually been when he's winning. And so that's a good thing as well. I thought he had one borderline win in the one-on-ones today. Um, but that's the only one that really popped. I think the other one that I noticed him, he was, uh, it was kind of a wash. Both guys had a nice, had a nice rep. So, um, I, I think he's he's fine. I, and the tough part about this and like, you know, a lot of guys end up landing like today. Matt Milano had a really nice uh, uh, up right up the gut blitz that landed and he, he recorded the sack. Vincent Taylor, another sack for the second straight day, although he had, uh, you know, 
he had some tough times against Brian Winters in the one-on-ones. Both matchups, those two guys had Brian Winters got the better of it and pancaked him on one of the on one of the blocks. So uh, that's encouraging if you're uh, you're pulling for Brian Winters as he gets accustomed to things in Buffalo. Um, but I thought overall in the last couple of days, AJ's been really really good. Um, and that's all I can say. <laughs> Fair enough. Dustin Green, fellow Bonas man, uh, go Bonas. Who is the most surprising guy doing well and the most surprising struggle? Well, that's a great question. The most surprising guy doing well. I'll say it's not surprising that he's doing well because I thought he was outstanding last year. Um, but Ryan Bates is having a great camp. Um you know, we've talked about this guy. He's so versatile. He can play all five positions. I mean, like he played them last year, like in Philadelphia, between Philadelphia and Buffalo. I think he ended up in practice or a game, ended up lining up at almost every position. And he's just, he's solid. I mean, he was having some really, he really had some good reps. I I really noticed today. Uh, I probably should have wrote about him, but it was so digs heavy. I didn't. And I figure he'll continue to probably, uh, make an impact in some way, but that's a, that's a good thing. Cause he's a, he's a very, very important depth piece for this offensive line. He figured John fleet with your John Feliciano out of the mix, you know, you could send bait. You could Bates could be your utility, man. I always used to watch this uh, baseball bloopers video back in the day. And uh, there was this, this shortstop. I think that was his original position. His name was Jose Akendo. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals and the blooper was, he literally played every position in a game one time or something or, or, or a series. And to me, Ryan, ba- every time I see Ryan Bates, I think of Jose Akendo because you could literally throw him anywhere and he'll, he'll figure out a way to make things uh, work. So I think Ryan Bates is the most, um, the biggest riser I'd say, or like guy that, you know, is surprisingly playing well in terms of disappointment. That's tough. Um, and I hate to say it, um, there's, there's not a lot of disappointment to go around. So I'll, I'll use this one and I'll say, oh yes, no, there is one. I was going to say Ed Oliver because it's been kind of a slow grind here as he's come back from the injury, but that's understandably. So I mean, he's coming off a little bit of a hip soreness. I wouldn't expect he would be at full bore ready to go. I think Thursday will be a big day for him. I'm going to say Trey Adams. He seems to be completely out of his depths. I mean, I think that's probably disappointing for a lot of people that really love that signing during the UDFA period where a guy that maybe could come in here and compete uh, with so much upside based on everything that was written about him, but he just completely looks lost out there at times. And um, so I think that he's struggling with the lack of, this is a perfect example to me without talking to Trey or Bobby Johnson or Brian Dable about it of an example of a guy coming in and too much too soon. No rookie mini camp, no OTAs, no mini camp, you know, all virtual for three, four months and then hit the ground running and, and show us what you got. I think that he losing out on those reps really has been hurting Trey Adams. And yeah, that makes sense. Going back to Bates real quick, you know, Easy guy to root for. He gets traded mid preseason last year, if I remember correctly. And he came right in and did so much in such a short time that the Bills felt they had to keep this guy. 
Uh, they ended up trading, I believe it was Eli Harold. Uh, Eli Harold, is that the name I'm thinking of? The, yep, it was yep. a line, okay, linebacker that wasn't going to make this team, and they end up getting a, a, an offensive lineman who, by all accounts, whether you know, probably not starting this year, but could be playing a, a big depth role on this team. So, you know, kudos to Brandon Bean for finding a guy like that, but more so to Bates for making such a great impression in such a short time last year to stick with this team. Uh, a few more things here in the comments. Do, do either of you partake in fantasy football? I know I do. I'm big into it. Uh, not as much as I was a few years ago. I was in a dynasty league where you drafted uh, individual players on defensive line, linebacker, secondary. That became a little bit too tedious for me, a little you know hard to do all that research, but still like to do a few leagues, mostly though the defense special teams just to kind of uh, simplify a little bit. What about you, Matt? Do you partake in fantasy football? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dial it back this year. Uh, I I think I'm probably only gonna do one league, the media league, which was very hotly contested last year. And I believe the rookie Marcel Louis Jacques took the uh, championship in a in quite a game against uh, John Scott. Uh, so I have to have a better showing this year. But yeah, I do play some fantasy football. Very nice. And there's one more. Uh, thoughts on the fact that the Bills brought in the former first-round pick, Lee, for a, a workout yesterday. Uh, you know, uh, personally, I, I, he could end up getting signed because a lot of these guys that have been brought in have been signed and signed pretty quickly. Uh, I still think you're going to see so many workouts between now and the regular season where the Bills are simply doing their their homework on potential additions if there's an injury or if there's a COVID signing. It, it's exciting, you know, for the fans where you see a former first-round pick, a guy with a lot of athleticism, brought in for these workouts, but workouts are, are pretty common this time of the year. Uh, and I think, you know, I think you'll probably say something along those lines as well, but what do you think of that Lee workout? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I do think that they maybe like what they have uh, in terms of some of the depth competition there, but you know, th th this regime has shown like they're not uh, afraid to bring somebody in to kind of maybe light a fire and, you know, we saw that Corey Thompson was out with the knee soreness today. So whenever something like that happens, I, I could see them wanting to, like Brandon Bean said with the cornerbacks, update their list of potential guys in case there might be a bigger situation at play. Oh, without a doubt. Um, Big Slugger 18, how different is the reporting scheme been? Heard a lot of teams have different standards and how much is it hindering potential feature pieces for both of you? You know, one thing I'll say is the Bills have done an outstanding job of getting these players via Zoom. Uh, I was able to get Reggie, Reggie Gilliam one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you, you know, so kudos to the team. I think the, the Bills are doing outstanding in that regard. But, yeah, there probably are different scenarios, different standards for different teams. But, you know, I, I know in, in our case, but specifically in Matt's case, you know, our, our main focus here is the Bills. Yeah, and I will say on this front, this this training camp has been a little bit different in that we're really putting all of our – um a lot of time into the podcast. So that's definitely impacting a little bit uh, some of the other stuff. But I will say too, like the Zoom calls, the cool thing about when you are at training camp or in the locker room or whatever, you, you have a lot of opportunity to kind of just go and talk to a person. And so the way that a story usually materializes is based on a conversation I had. And Lorenzo was obviously always my favorite in the room to go and just have a five or 10 minute chat with and almost help direct me into what my story would be. And um, I think with, with this setup, you're basically allowed one, maybe two questions every zoom. 
So it's not very personal to you. So a lot of what comes out seems to be a lot of the same stuff. So I think we're all still adapting to this new world um, and, and what this all means. I mean, I'll definitely have something off of Gabriel Davis at some point this week. Uh, it's just about fitting it all in and doing these daily podcasts as fun as they are and great as they are. They are definitely time consuming uh, They're uh, but they're great. And you guys are supporting it so much. We appreciate it. I've seen all these comments in here. Smash that like button. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you know, subscribe, uh, uh, not only on these video channels, but our audio podcast. I mean, that really, uh, that was the kind of the genesis of all of this. So if you can go wherever you get podcasts, because maybe one day you can, you can't watch the live show and you want to get it on, uh, and you just want it available on your drive to work or whatever, you can pull it up, uh, on your phone, whether, whether it's uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, um, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you listen to it. And if you don't start, there's a lot of good podcasts out there and just hit that subscribe, rate us, review us. It really helps us out. You guys are, you guys are great, man. This is, I, I'm seeing the numbers here live right now for this show. And this is really taking off. And you know, these kinds of things don't take off without, without you guys. So as always, we appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. The comment section has been popping. Love all the questions. Just love all the, the, appreciate the daily comments and the, in the hard work, Think, just reading things like that. Really, really nice to read from you guys. Uh, how about one more question from the comments here, Matt? Uh, well, actually a, a good one just came up, so I might lie and make it too. Based on your observations, your, what is your early bird score prediction for week one bills versus jets? Ooh, nice one. I like that question. Um, yeah, so I think that my early uh, expectations are that this Jets defense without Jamal Adams and without C.J. Mosley is really going to struggle with this Bills offense. And not only, you know, obviously Stefan Diggs, uh, uh, you figure a more mature and ready to, um, you know, develop Josh Allen. But I think that this two-headed monster of, of Zach Moss and, and Devin Singletary, they're going to be a problem this year for a lot of run defenses. And that's one of the strong suits of that Jets defense. So I think that if the Bills can get to that week and establish, uh, you know, implement a game plan and then establish the run and really out-physical the Jets, I think they win. I think it's going to be home opener, uh, even maybe without fans. Um I think the Bills put up 30 in this one. I think it's going to be 35, 35 to 14 Buffalo. Uh, the Bills defense, uh, you know, puts the clamps down on Sam Darnold and company, and it's a blowout. We'll see, though. That's very – we still got a couple weeks to go, so that's not my final answer. So come yeah. back and see in a few weeks. As the blood pump, though, five TDs from the Bills. Woo, I, I think that, that would have a lot of fans excited. That might a be just lot. me talking uh, on the heels of a Stefan Diggs <laughs> nine to ten reception day here in Orchard Park. Maybe that's yeah. Maybe that's you know, going. and what's interesting though with the Jets, although reportedly the offense had a very good day today, is two of their their I don't want to say their top receivers, but two of the guys they're expecting the most out of this year, Perriman and Mims, were both held out again today. There's there's some stuff going on there, so that's less time for them to get prepared for Week One in that matchup. Uh, so you're going to probably see a heavy dose maybe of Jamison Crowder week one and some of these guys that maybe weren't on your radar for the Jets. So that obviously works in Buffalo's advantage as well. 
if, if some of these uh, top receivers of Sam Darnold's and I top receivers, I say in quotes because that's not exactly a promising trio, even if they're all healthy compared to what the Bills have and some of these other teams. But yeah, it's it's encouraging to see that the Bills, though, are firing on all cylinders and that they might be able to take advantage of a Jets team that's already a little bit banged up at wide receiver. For sure. Was there one more question you wanted to get to before we get out of here? We're going um, long today. We're giving you guys a 40-minute show one day before the big show on Wednesday night. By the way, we have Jay Skirsky from the Buffalo News. Uh, underrated, um, longtime Bills uh, beat reporter. Um, he's been at the news for a long time. I think he's been on the beat five or six years. Uh, but he's going to join us tomorrow, man. Definitely tune in. He's he's as plugged in as anybody. Uh, he 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 knows his team in and out. He put out his fifty three man roster projection a couple days ago. I put out mine a week before that. So we'll dive into both of those a little bit and see how our opinions maybe have changed a little bit over the the course of uh, camp. Yeah, there's just one other question about tight ends. How many do you think they carry? Uh, and I, you know, I think a lot of that obviously goes down to Tommy Sweeney's health and then what they're thinking. But what do you think? How many tight ends does this team carry? That's an interesting question. I um, I don't know if this is possible because I don't. I'm not obviously privy to this severity of Tommy Sweeney's injury. But if it's a situation where they can place him on the uh, whether it be the active or the the pup list or um, whatever they decide to do with him. Injury wise, if he's not ready to go by the season start, I could really see Jason Kroon pushing for a roster spot. As crazy as that sounds, and I know everybody jokes about this guy. Um, you know, obviously his connection to uh, the team. Uh, he dates uh, Terry and Kim Pagula's uh, daughter, but he's. If you go back to 2018. He made some plays that year. I mean, this guy has. You know, he has some chops in this league already. A converted wide receiver who plays tight end now. He's made a couple plays in camp. He seems healthy. Uh, you, you know, you see, you follow him on social media. You see the work he's been putting in this offseason. I think he's making, you know, a nice little case for himself. So even if he doesn't make the roster, I definitely think he's a guy that is in the mix to be kept in the practice squad. And, you know, heaven forbid something happened to a Dawson Knox or a Tyler Croft. He's somebody that could be, you know, you'd like to have him in the mix as somebody you can bring in, knows very familiar with the offense, has been in it the entire three years that uh, Brian Dable's been here. Uh, so I think Jason Kroom is making himself a nice little, uh, you know, making a, a nice little push here uh, in training camp. Yeah, and it was easy to kind of forget about him after the injuries last year and things like that. But he did lead the, lead the team in receptions from the tight end position a few years ago. Uh, converted from wide receiver to tight end. So he has that athleticism, something that they do like to have uh, at that position to try to create those potential mismatches. So definitely something to monitor and you know, glad to hear that he's also having a strong camp. For sure, for sure. All right, guys, we are going to get out of here 41 minutes in. This has been a great one. I hope you've enjoyed it. Like I said, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get uh, the podcast that bring you, brings you this lovely face, Mr. Ryan Talbot. Look at the, the shine coming off of that dome. Freshly shaved. I freshly. Well, uh, Is it freshly shaved? It is actually. Yeah, I always have this little hairline come in, even with the razor. It is what it is. Well, you look great, man. I, I had to update your uh, your picture in our little uh, standstill uh, promo image because you just keep losing all this weight. And I'm like, I want, we got, we want to be true to, to, to real life here. And so 
Great stuff yeah. as always. Um, we will be back tomorrow night. Jay Skursky, 8 p.m. Uh, we have a light practice tomorrow, but we'll bring you all of our initial training camp week and a half thoughts and ideas, and we will see you then. And then big day Thursday. Have a great night, everybody. Day, night, day. <laughs>